It's great to see you. Right, so we are in the book of Ecclesiastes and each week we're going to read uh, sections of it. Um, Today the section of Ecclesiastes that we are in is in chapters 1 and 2. We thought instead of uh, reading those whole chapters together this morning, I'm going to encourage all of you to go home and read chapters 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes. And what I'll do is I'm going to pull out uh, the salient points of what Ecclesiastes is trying to say. Uh, Some of you may know that before I went into training to be a Salvation Army officer, I was a a scientist, a physicist, and uh, so I did my uni degree in science. The reason was I was very curious about pretty much everything, still am, and um, one of the things that science taught me was it's, it's helpful to put a number to things. So let me give you an example. In science, we like to assign a number to the temperature of the room. So in this room at the moment, it's about 21, 22 degrees, right? So we assign a number to the temperature. We know it's not as hot as 25, 26 degrees. We know it's not as cold as 16, 17 degrees. We have the number. We like to assign a number. So I thought we'll come to our discussion today, and it might be helpful to try and assign a number to your level of satisfaction. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work this out together. Well, actually, no, you're going to work it out yourself. So, I'm going to ask you a number of areas, and I want you to try and think of a number between 1 and 10 of what your satisfaction level is in that area. So, to begin, the first area that I want you to think about is, how satisfied are you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with your job? (laughs) All you retired people, just put your hands down, get over it, come on. All right, so here's the next one. How satisfied are you with your income? (laughs) Ah, we're not so happy now, are we? (laughs) How satisfied are you with your marriage? Don't blink. (laughs) I've got some people you might need to see. How satisfied are you with your singleness? Those of you who are not single, just skip over it, all right? You know what we're doing here. How satisfied are you with your home? With your car? How satisfied are you with your core officer? (laughs) The female one. (laughs) On a scale of 1 to 10, break it down, make it a number. On a scale of 1 to 10... How satisfied are you with the overall circumstances and conditions of your life? Have you got a number? See, it's important to think these things through sometimes, particularly at the end of a year, because it leads to other questions. Other questions like this, how satisfied should I be? Have you asked yourself that? Or how satisfied could I be? Am I aiming too high in my life for my level of satisfaction? Am I expecting too much or have I set the bar too low? Am I not expecting enough? Levels of satisfaction. Over the next six weeks, as we said, we're going to trip through Ecclesiastes. The author has captured the musings of the wisest man who ever lived, the quester, the researcher or the teacher 
in different translations. I think what they're truly trying to aim for here is a research professor. That's really what he is. He is a research professor. He finds stuff out and teaches it to students like us. We also know him as, of course, King Solomon, son of David, one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. As we get deeper into the book, we will hear his raw and irreverent, sometimes, reflections on satisfaction and the meaning of life. Some of his comments will be shocking. Some of them, I will warn you, could be offensive and may come across as a bit uncouth. <coughs> so let's begin at the beginning. It's a very good place to start, except we'll start at verse 2. The first quote from the teacher. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He was having a bad day, don't you think? But the truth is, it's not actually the, the, the ranting of a guy who's having a bad day. This is a considered opinion. You know, he's deliberately made it very shocking at the beginning to grab our attention, as many teachers do. And he will go on to describe decades of research of his own personal investment in trying to figure stuff out. And he will come to this point and he will back it up. So over the first two chapters that we're looking at today, we're going to give an overview. He, he, he talks about all the things that he's done, all the research that he's into. He's described his methodology, for those of you who, who are that way inclined to understand these things. So in these two chapters, we're going to run through quickly his methodology of study and unpack some of it. So the idea behind the word meaningless is that he's, he's trying to grab smoke, trying so hard to hold on to something that looks like it's substantial, but turns out to be empty and weightless. We uh, chose, well, I chose these video series, these background video series, to kind of get that idea, do you see? The basis for his whole train of thought, as we, we saw in the video earlier, and those of you who are joining us for just the sermon on, uh, online, I'll put the link uh, in the YouTube comment down below to see the video that we all saw a bit earlier. But the basis for his whole train of thought is the fact that our lives are finite. Immortality is impossible. There are many generations before us that we've forgotten, many generations that will come after who will also be forgotten. Ecclesiastes 1.4, generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. We're even going to be outlived by dumb rocks and plants. I was mowing the grass the other day and I thought, this lawn is going to outlive me. Isn't that annoying? And I take such good care of it too. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. Your lawn is going to outlive you. Now there's something to think about when you can't sleep at night. He tries a number of things to find meaning in this limited mortal life. He tries study. He tries pleasure. He tries pleasure in a big way. And he tries hard work. First, he begins with study. Ecclesiastes 1, 16 to 18. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has 
ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. And I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. All right, so first of all, let's just be clear. Solomon the wisest man who ever lived is not saying that, student, uh, that, that, that wisdom is irrelevant. He is not saying that we shouldn't learn wisdom. The book of Proverbs, which this book sets up as a, a counterpoint to, is, is full of sayings from Solomon. He believes in the things he writes. Let's give some examples. Proverbs 12, 16 says, A fool is quick-tempered, did I put that in? Come on, let's have a look at Proverbs. Yes, there we go. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Good stuff, right? All right, next one. People with no regard for others can throw whole cities into turmoil. Those who are wise keep things calm. I wanted to insert a Donald Trump joke here, but I won't. Mumble, mumble. How about this one? A loud and cheerful greeting in the morning will be taken as a curse. It's true, right? How about this one? It's better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a troublesome wife. Now, this is... Yeah, right. We've got steep roofs. Um, he repeats this. He says, he says this again in, in 25, 24. But then he goes to another step. He says, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. I'm sorry, Solomon wrote it. And we'll see a bit later on that Solomon has plenty of experience. Plenty of experience. These little sayings are all about making the best life possible. And the, and the book of Proverbs almost makes it sound like that is possible. All you do is follow these sets of instructions, these little couplets of rights and wrongs, and all you have to do is this, and your life will be perfect. But in here, he's perhaps a little older. And he said, he's found that the acquisition of wealth and uh, acquisition of wisdom, being known and called on as the wisest man who ever lived, the top of his field doesn't actually bring that satisfaction. Doesn't actually fill that void. Doesn't actually work. And, and, and the reason for that is that it doesn't work the way you expect it to work. There are wise people who are poor. They're extremely intelligent people who aren't earning lots of money. They're extremely cruel and foolish people who are earning lots of money. It doesn't simply work like that. So if you put all your hope in saying, all I have to do is follow these rules and work out, and then you're not. It's meaningless, right? It's not that way. It's empty, he says. And the, book, the next book in the Bible, if you want to do some homework, is the book of Job. And it really dives into this truth. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. That's just the way it is. There is no meaning in this. So like a lot of students, Solomon turns to pleasure. He turns to figure out 
All right? Study isn't doing it for me. We'll try pleasure. Actually, most students do both at the same time, but he said to himself, Ecclesiastes 2.1, I said to myself, come now, I will test you also with pleasure and find out what's good. But also, that proved to be meaningless. So, aided by an endless supply of wine, Solomon tried all the delights and pleasures known to humankind and nothing satisfied. We were once appointed as corps officers to the Bonnells Bay Corps on the central coast of New South Wales, up a few hours north of here. And um, attached to the corps at that time was Miracle Haven, a drug and alcohol recovery centre with 100 guys generally living there and working out their recovery. I'll tell you, if you want to learn wisdom, find a, an alcoholic or a drug addict or a gambling or an addict of any sort in recovery. If you want to learn wisdom, go talk to them for a little while and uh, learn some great things about wisdom there. But anyway, uh, each Sunday morning and night meetings, we'd have 30 to 40 guys who would join us and we'd always had great sharing times. And time and time again, we would hear the truth. This truth. I tried alcohol, but it wasn't enough. I tried drugs. They weren't enough. I tried harder drugs. They weren't enough. I did some of the most stupid and shameful things to try and get more and more and more, but it wasn't enough. Solomon found the same result. An infinite amount of wine isn't enough. So he starts to gather possessions. And wealth, houses, gardens, botanic gardens, building streams and reservoirs. He gets slaves or staff, that's the way you got slaves then, for all the houses that he has, all the gardens that he has, staff that then have children who he also looks after. He had a lot of money. He amasses the greatest flocks and herds ever seen and of course he collects a huge amount of silver and gold. He loves music, but Spotify or CDs haven't been invented yet. In fact, no, no real way of recording music has been invented. So what does he do? He goes and buys a whole bunch of singers and musicians. Has his own orchestras. No worries. Must have cost a lot to entertain him whenever he wanted. And he also, it says, he gets himself a harem. Now this is perhaps, you know, this is like three words here in his description of his methodology of trying things out. But it's a bit of an understatement. Let's have a look at 1 Kings 1 to 3. King Solomon was obsessed with women. Says it all, right? Pharaoh's daughter was only the first of many foreign women he loved. Moabite, Ammonite, lots of ites. Uh, let's go to the next, next verse. He had 700 royal wives, 300 concubines, 1,000 women in all. Imagine the credit card bill. When, Joe, when Solomon makes a comment about what it's like to have this wife or that wife, he knows what he's talking about. He's got all of them. Every type imaginable. Somebody's making a comment. It's great when there's not that many people here. I can hear this mumbled comments and I really want to hear what they said. But we'll carry on. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.10 I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Which, what he means was, he went through all of this and his wisdom, his, his desire to learn and figure it out, stayed with him. I denied myself nothing in my, that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Talk about your hedonistic lifestyle. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. 
Nothing was gained under the sun. He got to the stage where he realized that the acquisition of wealth, wine, women, and song, wasn't going to fill the void. It's not that wealth is bad, it just doesn't satisfy. At a global leadership summit a number of years ago, um, I heard an interview with Bill Gates. We know who Bill Gates is. And uh, at this point in time, Bill Gates was in the process of moving out of Microsoft and setting up a foundation into which he would transfer, I think in the end, 60 to $70 billion of his own money in order to then distribute it around the world to serve worthy causes. He's provided so much good in the world. And, um, but this was, the interview was, was at this time, point in time when he just announced that this is what he was going to do. <coughs> and um, so he says, uh, the interviewer asked him, says, why are you doing this? And Bill Gates said something really, really profound. Are you, you ready to hear? You ready? You want to hear what Bill Gates' wisdom was? He said, I woke up one morning, I thought to myself, what's the point? What's the point? How's that for wise? What's the point? I could earn another 5 billion, another 10 billion. What's the point? How much is enough? Bill Gates got to the same point that Solomon got to 3,000 years ago. Been there, done that. What's the point? So this then comes to his final experiment. He has tried the study, he's tried pleasure, and now he's going to settle down, like most uni students do, settle down after all that madness, settle down into work. He's going to work hard, and he's going to see if he can find satisfaction and meaning in work. But I tell you what, it didn't really work out. What a surprise, right? What a shocker. Here's what he says, how's this, in, in Ecclesiastes 2.17, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. See, in, in, on one level this doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem. It cemented Jerusalem as, as the center of the Israelite kingdom, it, it, it set Jerusalem up as one of the world's premier cities and still has that reputation. The building itself that he, he oversaw the construction of is known as one of the ancient wonders of the world, even though it doesn't exist anymore. All we've got is a wall. Solomon worked hard. He coordinated huge numbers of laborers, builders and artisans in the construction of this temple. And that was only one of his many projects. It was hugely successful. It cemented his reputation as a great leader and a great builder. It stood for centuries and was considered the very resting place of God on earth. And yet he said it was pointless. Why? What drew him to this conclusion? Ecclesiastes 2.18, I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And so we come full circle. Generations come and generations go. Whatever we do, we are not going to outlive or outlast ourselves. 
No matter how successful Solomon was, he knew that at some point, someone else was going to take up the reins. Someone else was going to take on the projects. And there was no way of knowing or monitoring or seeing how well they did. So what do you do? He's tried wealth, he's tried study, he's tried work. There's no satisfaction in workaholism. There's no satisfaction in alcoholism. There's no satisfaction in studyism. Let's call it a thing. What do we do? How do you proceed? What do you do with this experimental data? Do we just all curl up, give up? Well, for the conclusion and where many times we're going to end up over the next few weeks is this. We turn to the end of the book. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. That's it. The answer to all the meaningless. There is only meaning to be found in loving God and following His commands. According to the experiments conducted by the teacher, there is no meaning to be found in work, study or pleasure. These results have been repeated over the last thousands of years and you can read biographies from all sorts of people. Time and time again, the same conclusion has been reached. All that there is, is to love God and serve Him. I spent an inordinate amount of time over the last few years sitting in hospital rooms, hospice rooms, homes sometimes, bedrooms, sitting with people in the last days or hours of their lives. Scores of them, in fact, over the last five years. I speak to them and we talk about this and that. But I find there's only really two things on someone's mind when it comes to that time in life. The two things are family. What's my relationship with family like? And what's my relationship with God like? That's it. That's the only two things that the people really have on their minds in those last hours. Am I right with family? Am I right with God? You know, I'm, I'm never asked to go and retrieve a bowling trophy from the pool room so that someone can hold it in their last hours. I, I'm never asked to look up a bank balance so that someone can see what their bank balance is in the last hours of their lives. I'm never asked to print off an academic record so that someone can see all the subjects and courses and degrees that they have. But I am asked to make contact with family and friends and God. That's it. All else is utterly meaningless. This year, I want to encourage you to evaluate everything that you're planning, everything you're thinking about doing. 
before you make before you make new year's resolutions planning around success weight loss growth improvement i want to encourage you to make plans for satisfaction before right here before we begin a new year acknowledge with me that the only source of true satisfaction in this life is to fear god and keep his command I'm asking each of you today to commit to make that priority every single day of your life. Every single day. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord God, Way back in the beginning of Solomon's life, you gave him wisdom. When he was a young leader and he didn't quite know how to take over from his incredibly successful father, he, he, he asked for wisdom, he asked for knowledge and how to lead and, and guide this, this people of Israel and, and you gave it to him in spades. He, he continued to study God and, and, and learn all that stuff and we just thank you that, that his experiments that his scientific study of the meaning of life was recorded for us in this book. God, we thank you that, that he dived into incredible amounts of study. He dived into incredible amounts of wealth and, and pleasure and, and that he dived into incredible hard work and perfectionism and all those sorts of things. We thank you that he did all of that so that we would know that all of that is utterly meaningless. All of that is, is, is grabbing and striving and struggling for smoke. It looks substantial, we know, but it isn't. And so we thank you, God, that he recorded that and that you have protected his words and you have brought those words through all of history to us that we can read them today. But God, it's, it's hard to see something written 3,000 years ago and apply it to 2019. And God, I, I, I ask you to impress upon each one of us the need to know you first and foremost and to follow your commands. God, as we think about the year to come, as we formulate New Year's resolutions, please keep us mindful of what truly satisfies and help us to make that our number one priority. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.